Hello, and welcome to the Wild Blue Podcast, perspectives on aviation lives, lifestyles, and business. Hi, Chris Kirk here at uh, Wild Blue Aircraft Sales with Todd Minton. Hi, Todd. Hey, Chris. How, how are you today? Hey, we're doing good. You know, uh, we were just going to have a little bit of fun here today, uh, talking about some of the more fun and challenging airports that uh, you and I have been in. I know a lot of people have a lot of fun stories about that. Uh, I think for me, what I hope that people get out of this is just some things to think about in their pre-flight planning that maybe they hadn't thought about in the past and, and you know how it's going to impact uh, not only planning, but airplane performance and, and so forth. So, um, Yeah, it sounds like a fun uh, topic. Uh, and of course, we can talk from an airline perspective, from a general aviation perspective. There's a lot of topics we could cover, a lot of airports. Military perspective as well. Yeah, that's true. You know, it's one of the things I was just sitting here thinking about it because when I flew the T-38, uh, you know, that airplane had a uh, had some very interesting takeoff and landing performance because it had no anti-lock brakes, the, it had no spoilers, the tire footprint was very, very small, coupled with slick tires. They didn't have any tread or grooving on them, and the... You know, the speed at which that airplane would hydroplane, uh, you know, especially if you were on uh, non-grooved runways, it was uh, it really made for some challenging locations, even if on the surface it didn't look like it was going to be that challenging. Now, Chris, I, uh, I like to fly my RV-8, which I consider a fighter, uh, at 72 knots on final and touchdown at 65. Is that similar to what the T-38 did? What would you say, 75? 72, 72. knots on final. So it'd be, uh, be a little less than half. Oh, wow. <laughs> what, yeah, I've heard stories that 38, you guys were fast. Yep, yeah. 155 knots plus gas. So if our memory serves me correctly, this has been a while, for every 100 pounds over 1,000 pounds of gas, we added a knot. So if we had 2,000 pounds of gas, your final approach speed would be 165. Sure. Now, that's a full flap setting. We also did no flap. Uh, we didn't do landings, no flap, but we did no flap approaches, and, and we did no flap touch and goes. And the uh, that speed was 170 plus gas. <laughs> so if you had 2,500 pounds of gas... Add 15. Then. You'd add yeah. 15, and that doesn't account for adding for gusty winds. 185 plus. So 185 plus. So sometimes you'd have pretty doggone high. I mean, it, if I again, if memory serves me correctly, it was the fastest landing airplane in the Air Force inventory. Yeah. So it had some. Uh, it was Category E on approaches. Oh yeah. And now, and now you notice. I will point out, Chris, since I was a navigator, I could quickly work that math out of my head. I'm curious how you pilots managed yeah. to figure that out. It right? was a challenge, man. You <laughs> trying to fit the abacus, the four foot abacus, in this three foot cockpit. It was tough. Well, I, I wondered how you did it. I didn't know you had an abacus in there for sure. But that, that take our boots off and count our toes. <laughs> I knew it. So now the uh, that definitely uh, was limited, and you had to have those big ten thousand foot Air Force runways. Uh, but what are some of the other shorter runways that you've flown jets into and challenging airports? Well, you know, I think one of the, the more challenging airports that people don't think about, uh, for those of us here in Kansas City, is our home airport here at downtown Kansas City. Yes. You know, they used to fly. I remember as a kid coming down here and watching 707s land. But, you know, even just in a GA airplane, one of the things that we always have to think about as uh, tenants at this airport is if you lose an, air, lose an engine, where are you going to go? Yes. Single engine. Because there's really no place to go. I, I know I tell my family this, and I remind them all the time. 
be prepared to go swimming because <laughs> yeah. sometimes the more the safe river. option is going to be trying to land close to the banks on that river. Uh, and, you know, we're going to need to make sure the doors popped and everybody's ready to get out pretty short order. I, I will say that uh, you, uh, those of you that know me know that it always pains me to say something nice about Chris, but Chris does a very, uh, <laughs> a real thorough briefing and thinks, flies his Piper Saratoga with the precision that he flies a 737 for Delta Airlines. So that is, I mean, I do respect that very much. And I've learned, you know, when I fly with you watching how you handle that. And I think that uh, a lot of pilots could learn from that because you're right. Thinking here, coming off of Kansas City, MKC, Mike Kilo Charlie, for those that aren't familiar from here, uh, there's buildings, tall buildings to the southwest. There's towers that are sit, tough to see. Yeah, sit the big tall towers, two thousand footers. <laughs> well, the MSL anyway. Uh, yeah. And uh, and certainly no place to land, so the river might be a spot. Yeah, this is a challenge. You're right about that. We've it's got that one. that rail yard that's on the east side here. There's absolutely no place over there to set it down. No, no. Uh, you, you got a little bit of space, I guess, between the levee and the river, but you know, barring being in the middle of the town somewhere, there's just not a lot of no, options. No, there's not. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners face that with their home airports, you know, some, at least some areas. And uh, hopefully you plan ahead and think like, like Chris is talking about, think about where, what's going to, what am I going to do if I lose an engine at this point or this point or yeah. on final, wherever it may be. So yeah, great, great one to start with there. Uh, we uh, sticking with the general aviation theme. What uh, what airports might we uh, also want to discuss that we're? Well, I know a lot of the a lot of the guys, uh, folks that are out there in you know high country, Idaho backcountry. There's lots of cool strips that, that you and I have never flown into. No, no, that, unfortunately uh, not. They've got you know their folklore surrounding those airports. One of the closest ones around here that I haven't even flown into, and I, I think you said you had is Gaston's. And, and that's, you know, that's pretty challenging. When we lived down in Texas, I used to go in and out of a place called uh, McGeehee's Catfish Farm right off the Red River. <laughs> and little little narrow strip with a road that went halfway between it. And the, the one end of the runway was pretty darn close to the restaurant. And you know, the first time I went in there, uh, I was with my father-in-law in our 172. This has gosh, been 20-some years ago. And my son, well, not 20, it had been 18 years ago. He was just a baby. We had him in the car seat in the back. And... He and I and, and Ethan took off to go fly. We wanted to go up there. And, and I'd heard stories about it, you know. Did a low pass, kind of check it out ahead of time, which I'm really glad that I did. But what you don't see on the low pass is some of the kind of the undulating or, you know, the curvy ah. spots in the runway. And we, we landed and crossed that road. And I, I thought the nose gear was going to come off that airplane, mm. you know. But and, and that was fun. It was fun. But uh, I was glad that I had plenty of... of uh, performance left you know we were we were pretty light didn't have a lot of gas yeah. just the three of us and it was the older 172 so it had a pretty good climbing performance lots of uh of narrow runways and small and you're right you brought up a point where guys like up in idaho or certainly in alaska that you know some of this is not as uh challenging to them but to those of us flatlanders here airports uh narrow runways right here in the Kansas city area we have a uh, uh, roosterville now, fortunately, there's grass on either side, but the actual uh, the actual paved part is maybe 20 feet wide. Right. That's kind of a fun little I mean, It's challenge. got a little bit of a jink in it, too, it doesn't it? It does, a little jink, never hurts, you know. <laughs> and 
as long as it's not a whole chicane, you know, just a, just a little turn, we can live with that. There's a lot of good uh, videos out there of guys landing at challenging airports, too. Uh, uh, how about in the airline world? I know, uh, you know, we I fly more international right now, 777. We don't do a lot of international stuff. I mean, a lot of challenging airports in that airplane, but you're in a 73 and uh, in and out of a lot of airports here in the U.S. Yeah, and some of them are... You know, the, the key is is being prepared ahead of time and knowing what you're getting into. And so fortunately in the airline world, things are a little more structured where we've got, you know, engineering departments at the airlines that, that look at these things in terms of how are the, how's the airplane going to perform in various circumstances and stuff. And so we've got a lot of guidance on that. Uh, and obviously a lot of operations into and out of these places. But, you know, one of the first things that we always look at is whether or not the runway is grooved. You know, GA pilots, I think, by and large, don't tend to think about that. But, you know, that grooving on a runway removes a lot of water, and it reduces a lot of the risk that you face going in there. Yes. Because, you know, like you were talking about earlier, you can go into a, what's seemingly a nice, long runway, and if it's not grooved, if they have had a storm in there, there's yeah. there's a lot of opportunity to go off the end of that runway hydroplane. And I think that's true even in general aviation airplanes, you yeah. know, where it's if it's a shorter, you know, the runway's not going to be grooved in many cases in, in uh, general aviation. And it's something to think about. If you're, you know, sometimes a really hard rain goes through and and the uh, and then it suddenly kind of clears right behind it. Not necessarily clear, clear skies, but the visibility's good. It's like the rain cleaned everything out. And you're, you get in, oh, man, we timed this just right. We got down here just as the rain moved out. And we can yeah. sneak in VFR and it's fine. But that runway could have quite a bit of standing water on it, and puddles and so on. So uh, it is. It doesn't happen often, but it can happen. I don't know if you've seen it too. It's it's like Murphy's law. If there <laughs> is no grooving on that runway, you can be darn sure that the runway is not crowned. It's going to be yeah, flat, yeah. and it is going to hold water. <laughs> <laughs> that is that's a fact. I. Uh, uh, years ago, uh, down in Guatemala, Guat City, I, I've been there in years now, but that air, that airport at that time was not grooved. And they had one or two airplanes. There's some some accidents that you can check out on YouTube or read about of, of airplanes that overran the runway uh, down in uh, in Guatemala City on on landing after a rainstorm. Exactly what we're talking about. I, I've got a great story. I got to interject. Yeah, about. I'd love to hear uh, it. Uh, you know, I was flying. Uh, uh, my first airline job was uh, for a third-level freight carrier uh, flying uh, old run-out DC-8s, and uh, not it. I mean, you know, a first-generation jet, great airplane, cool airplane, but a first-generation jet, and and we took off out of Guatemala City. Well, I should back up a moment. The, this particular 61 DC-8 61 was having a cargo door issue, and they'd stuck a pin in there as sort of a a backup to hold the cargo door. I mean, you know, but the mm. door closed and locked and, oh, we'll be fine. We launched out of Guatemala City and climbed out of, I don't know, 23, 24,000 feet. We hear this thump, a big thump. I don't know how that comes across on our microphone, but but a thump. Uh-oh, what was that? And flight engineer gets up. I was first officer. Flight engineer gets up, goes back and says, our cargo door has popped a little bit. That pin that they had stuck in there was what kept it from oh, coming all the way yeah. open. So we... Turned around, went back to Guatemala City, which was not my favorite place to land to begin with, but uh, landed and and they fixed it. But uh, uh, that I, whenever I think of Guatemala City, I'm reminded of that particular trip there. That 
presented its own unique challenges. Yeah. Now, I don't remember. Did that airplane have spoilers? Did it have landing spoilers? Yeah, it did. It did. Yep. Okay. Did it have leading edge slats? No, it did not. It did not. Okay. So no. it had probably pretty good approach speeds, didn't it? Yeah. I'm, I, I mean, I think around 140 knots, something okay. like that. It's hard to remember, but uh, that was 25 years ago plus. So Yeah. Uh, back to our more on topic, though, some of the other airports uh, within the U.S. that I think uh, you know, LaGuardia is a challenging airport, isn't it? Yeah, I hate LaGuardia. Um, and it, it has, you know, it's, it's it's just so many feet. No, Chris, we're talking about the runways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not a fan. But uh, it is, uh, yeah, it's a challenging airport for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, it's landlocked. The ends of two of the runways are built on piers that go out yeah. into, what is that, the East Bay that's right there by Rikers Island. Mm -hmm. And so those those ends of the runways, you know, just like driving on a bridge uh, in the wintertime, right? Those, they'll freeze earlier. And so you might think you have good stopping distance and then you hit that last little bit and there's all that cold air circulating underneath that runway and that part will be frozen if they haven't treated it. And the runways are short, they're 7,000 feet long. Uh, you know, all these people build, buy houses and things and they don't want the noise around there and everything. Well, so you you do that expressway visual following. Yeah. I, I think that's an important uh, point to bring up. Is that in a in a the thought process might be airline flying is the hardest decision of the day is whether you take the ILS to the left or the ILS to the right, and yeah. uh, <laughs> meaning the runway one uh, seven left or one seven right. But but in fact, a, a lot of airports that we'll discuss today are airports that that actually have a. Uh, a challenging approach and you're expected to fly the visual approach or the uh, the approach that imp does the least noise impact which right. you brought up so yeah and that expressway visual is a great example so it's one of those where you're you're literally you're visually flying over whatever that expressway is there that goes mm -hmm. down long island yep. you reach a point which happens to be right around uh was it city field they call it now which is where the mets play yeah and you, you hang a, a very sharp left-hand turn to line up, and that would be runway 3-1. Um, and, you know, the, the challenge there is, from a big airplane perspective, you know, first off, you're maneuvering this big airplane in a pretty short or pretty small area. And if you have winds that are overshooting, causing you to, to kind of go past the runway, uh, and if you're not right on glide slope, there's a lot of little maneuvering that needs to be done that, Generally, in a small airplane, it's pretty easy to take care of. You, know, you can slip the airplane in. You can do any number of things uh, that aren't going to be an issue. But, you know, when you're flying a, uh, an 80 or 90 ton or more airplane uh, down through there, it's it's one of those things that, uh, and you're sitting cross cockpit, not to mention trying to look out the other guy's window to see all this. Uh, if you're the FO in that case, you know, it's it's challenging. Well, it's sticking in the New York area. It just occurred to me, and, and on these approaches, the Obviously, one of the most well-known approaches in in the entire world, the Canarsie, Canarsie. into into uh, Kennedy, you know, JFK. It's uh, the uh, approach that we fly into uh, uh, three one left. Yep. And, uh, that's a that's a challenging one in a wide body airplane and a lot of foreign carriers. A lot of that's uh, you know again hardly the ILS to right. <laughs> you know in a big wide air. You think of Kennedy as being a huge airport, but it's still, they got you packed in tight. Yep. Well, DCA is the same way. You fly the uh, the river visual yeah. going to 1-9 and DCA, you know, and you're flying down the Potomac all visual. 
trying to meet your altitude targets. And then, you know, you don't, I mean, there's no such thing as a, as a traditional stabilized approach there. I mean, you're, you're literally rolling out on final at 250 feet, maybe, you know, on an airplane that's got a hundred plus foot wingspan, you're pretty close to the ground. I think a, a fantastic way to spend a day would be a crosswind day watching guys uh, <laughs> do, do landings there on 1-9 at, at, at Reagan DCA. That, that would be a ball to just sit and watch yeah. that. Aviation guys like us would like that sort of thing. Well, I always get a kick out of the, you know, the know-it-all passenger in the back. Well, that was kind of a hard landing. Yeah. That wasn't Navy a good landing. Pilot? Yeah, you know, and they have no clue. Um, wow. And, you know, it's you're not looking for a smooth landing. You're no. looking for a landing that gets you down on the numbers because it's a 6,800-foot runway. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you want to be able to stop that thing and turn off. And and that's the good landing. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, uh, another talking about short runways. Uh, how about Orange County? You guys oh, go yeah. Yeah, I used to. I haven't gone in there in quite a while, but you know that's what fifty. I don't remember how much it was, but we used to have a briefing that they wanted us to give the passengers to oh, really? forewarn them about takeoffs more than landings. Yes, that was great. You know? Maybe both the uh, both of us had flown the MD eighty in and out of uh, yeah. Orange County. You remember you had to run the power up to a certain EPR setting. Yep. And then and on the ninety that we flew in there, it had a um, an auto cutback feature. So it would, you'd, you'd pre-select it in the FMS, but you'd, you'd haul down the runway and max power generally. You'd rotate, mm -hmm. hoping that the, you didn't lose an engine because you knew darn well you weren't going to stop before the end of the runway. Yeah, and yeah it's hit, right there. The runway, by the way, is what, 5,400 yeah, feet? Yeah, it's not like very that. long. You'd hit that 800-foot level, and then here all of a sudden, uh, the airplane had announced cutback, you know, and the throttles had come way, way back. back. <laughs> And you know you'd nose it over because uh, because the guy that lives out there at the end of the runway and wants the convenience of the airport doesn't want the noise and, and he'd raise a, a fit over it. So you know you're doing things that frankly I just are are marginally safe at best. I think the uh, interesting thing about uh, like Orange County is uh, you know I flew out there in the in the eighty and and then I flew it in the seven fifty seven and and the <laughs> the best. Uh, the best part about that, you know, much bigger airplane, you'd think, uh, oh, boy, but that's even more challenging. Now, for those sort of our listeners who are familiar, the 7.5 has got so much power and such a great wing that it was actually a piece of cake. It was a non-event. I yeah. mean, non-event. That's so, a great airplane. Just such a great airplane and uh, uh, make, makes short runways uh, easy work. So, uh you know, one that I guarantee you, uh, probably none of our listeners have ever been into, though, Todd, uh, is Guantanamo Bay. Tell us about that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been in Guantanamo Bay both in the C-130 and in the in the DC-8. And my understanding today is they've changed it now. But the, the thing that made Guantanamo Bay, which if you're not familiar with it, is, is a little slice of Cuba that belongs to the U.S. Of course, probably, uh, you know, through the, the war on terror stuff, a lot of uh, uh, alleged terrorists were put in to prison there in, in uh, Gitmo, Guantanamo Bay. Well, uh, flying in there, the, it's, you're right there in Cuban airspace. It's just a little tip of, on southern and southeastern Cuba that, that we own somehow. And, uh, and so we would, uh, coming in there, you had to stay inside the fence, whatever the fence was, which was a place that started where you weren't supposed to be flying over. So they, you had, that was a tight, it was a, made for a very short final. So 
you know, the C-130, not a, not a big deal. But in the, uh, in the DC-8, that was, a, that was a challenge to get in there, stay inside that thing, keep it all in sight. Not like what you're talking about, LaGuardia, where you're trying to maybe look cross-cockpit or whatever it may be, but you're, uh, you turned a short final and got in there. The runway itself was fine, but the, uh, but the approach was the challenge at, at Guantanamo Bay. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, another uh, South American airport that I did only in the C-130, uh, but American Airlines does fly there, and it's a special qual airport, is Tegucigalpa, Honduras. That's a, uh, and there's some good videos online of, of airplanes coming in over, because there's a, there's a hill on final. It used to even be a shorter runway back in the 90s when I went in there, uh, and, uh, and it, was a, it was a challenge to come in over the hill, there was actually an Air Force uh, or Air Force Reserve C-130 that crashed there in the in the mid 90s too, and that was uh, uh, an unfortunate incident, lost a few lives on that. But you know hmm. you can't land halfway down that runway even in a C-130 at least at that time and and stop the airplane. So yeah, very challenging and unique airport uh, Tango Golf uniform to Guccialpa. You know, terrain is one of those things that. It's easy to say, but it's it's difficult to put into practice in terms of flight planning for it near the airport. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get a visual for what what you're seeing. You know, one of the uh, GA airports that I've been in recently that kind of caught me off guard and brought this more to my attention is I think it's is it Feltz Field in Spokane, uh, the one that's the GA airport that's to the east, kind of between Spokane and uh, Coeur d'Alene, and there's a <clears throat> huge hill just on the north side of the runway. Well, if you're coming in there, especially at night, and I was glad this was daytime so I could see all this, but um, if you were coming in and didn't weren't aware of this big hill, it doesn't really show up that, you know, that prominent on the chart. I mean, it's there, it's but it's, you know, it's kind of unremarkable on the chart. But, you know, if you're at a thousand foot pattern altitude, it takes away a good four or 500 oh, feet. Wow. Wow. Uh, and then and it, there's a house up there, as I recall. So you know, it's one of those things where you, you need to spend a little bit of time looking at these things and, and trying to visualize, okay, what is that 1,500-foot tower? What's that going to look like to me? What's that, that hill that's right there? You know, what's, what's that going to look like to me? And I, I think a lot of folks don't give that the, the justice that it deserves. Brings up some good advice, too. And if you are flying at night and, and the, the U.S. military, uh, I'm sure all airlines have the... Uh, policy that you know you'll use all of available nav aids even on a visual approach that's night, a good point yep at night and and so uh i think we can all as general aviation pilots keep that in mind too you know and and take a look at a instrument approach plate if you're instrument rated know how to read the uh, instrument approach plate uh and, and use whatever aids are available to help you yeah uh, especially at night yeah little things like don't descend below the yeah. final approach fix altitude until you're inbound, even on a visual. You know, don't um, or, or use a use either your LPV guidance or your ILS yeah. guidance uh, as a glide slope, even on a visual, especially at night. Especially at night. Some places will surprise you too around the country if you haven't been there. You know, man, I never knew there was this much terrain in this given area. You know, there's airports. It just makes me think of Northwest Arkansas down there around Fayetteville, stuff like right. that. There, yeah, that area. There's a lot of terrain down there that. Uh, may not be obvious to a person that 
Is right. it from you know, but where was it you and I were? I mean, we were just down yeah, in uh, Salisaw, Oklahoma, and you got that big hill yes. down there at the end of that runway. Yes, it was crazy. Who would think Oklahoma? But it's eastern Oklahoma, right there next to Arkansas, and and yeah, it's a factor. Yeah, absolutely, is a factor. Well, there's a lot of lot of cool ones. We're going to wrap this segment up, but um, you know, if if uh, you have anything to throw in here, we'd love to hear from you on it, um, and any other topics of conversation that might be enjoyable to you. But again, Chris and Todd here at Wild Blue, we'd love to visit with you about uh, either the sale or purchase of an airplane. Uh, we love working with buyers and sellers both and, and really have just a thrill doing that. So our phone number is 816-479-2723, or you can check us out at flywildblue.com. And until next time, thanks so much. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to the Wild Blue Podcast. Find us online at flywildblue.com. And don't forget to subscribe and share.